Can you feel that it's September? Yes. Yeah, everybody's, yeah, we can, we feel it. There's like this combined sense of, oh, fun, joy, September, like excitement, things going back to school, and then an exhaustion, like when is it going to be over? <laughs> when will we finally be in through this uh, time and all, you know, not have everything be new and stuff like that? So I'm praying for you guys. Please pray for, for us. You know, we're doing the same thing too. It's, it's such a busy time. And you'll, you notice on the calendar, we kind of just deferred everything to basically the very end of September, early October. For that reason, just it's so busy and there's so much going on. Um, but I would just encourage you guys to think about, you know, how, you, how you're going to learn, grow, be involved in the fall, you know, but, but don't rush into it, right? Take your time to get used to your September, but make sure to uh, think about how you want to be involved. we got, you know, small groups happening. We're going to have a theology class, which is going to be on Sundays after church. Uh, there's homework involved. If you're a big nerd and you really like homework, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we, will, we will meet you there in that. And there's a women's Bible study starting and a couple of ways to serve. So excited about that. Um, I'm also really excited to be here this morning and continuing on in this little mini series um, called Dynamics of Faith. Uh, and my hope for this series is that we could just take a couple weeks and focus on Really, what are the, the, the lived dynamics, the, the things that, that Christians need to live into, these kind of existential realities, to use a philosophical term, um, that, that make for a, an experience of, of having a stronger faith? What, what, what are the things that we live into that are going to grow our faith, essentially? That's the question I'm asking. Or to put it another way, to pay attention how a Christian life not only becomes, but also remains vital and strong over the long term. The long term thing is the challenge because the thing about the Christian life is, and probably a lot of you have experienced this depending on how long you've been following Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus here, um, is that you first start to follow Jesus and it's like exciting and invigorating and there's like adrenaline and all the things that happen when you are in a new relationship. The same things are true when you're in a new relationship with Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes into your life. It's amazing. There's joy. There's freedom. There's all this awesome stuff. But what happens just as often is that after a year or two or five or ten uh, the novelty, right, novelty, it kind of wears off, and the nature of the relationship that you have with Jesus begins to change. And that's true of our, our, our faith, you know, our, our, our relationship with God, but it also, I mean, it describes all relationships. That precisely describes marriage as well, right? Um, in, in any life-changing relationship, in any essential relationship that we come into, there are different stages. Just like in marriage, our re relationship with the Lord can risk plateauing or even declining over time unless we are paying attention to the dynamics that keep that relationship fresh and vital and healthy. Married couples, do you know this? Do you know this, right? You, experience, you learn it one way or another. I'll just say that. Um, it's not, though, like the call, I'm just thinking further about this analogy between, between marriage and faith. It's not like the, in marriage, like the call, the, 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 the work of, of loving your spouse, it doesn't change over time. It's the same thing, but to sustain it over time in the context of a relationship takes vitality. The vows that you take at your wedding ceremony are the same vows that you have your entire life, your entire marriage. You're called always to love your spouse. But the love that you have for your spouse, you find, will need to be expressed differently over 
time. It's less about the novelty and less about the adrenaline and the excitement that comes along in the, in the beginning of a relationship. And it's more, it's, it's, it becomes more about just um, going deeper into myself and, and finding out what does it really mean to love this person, to serve this person, and to give my whole self to this person. And, and the more that we lean into that dynamic, the more we actually find that our long-term relationships are so much more satisfying over time, even more satisfying than the exciting first couple years. A healthy marriage is going deeper, so too a healthy relationship with Jesus is going to go deeper. It's, but it, but it becomes more demanding in that respect in order to go to the next place, in order to stay vital and healthy over the long time. Last week we talked about one, one dynamic of faith that is essential to keep you know, faith sustained over the long term, and that is dying to self. And, and we, we talked about this, really, and this is, this is the, the thing, is it's not a passive process. Dying to self is not passive. And in fact, we talked about ways that we can plan to die to ourselves and how that is a part of sustaining a long-term healthy faith and that we really need to be planning on it, just like we need to be planning on continuing to love our spouse in vital ways, continuing to go on dates, continuing to get to know them, even when we think we know everything about them because we share life together, continuing into these things, going deeper into relationships. We die to ourselves, and that's part of just having a, a dynamic relationship with Jesus over the long term. And this morning, I want to talk about another essential dynamic that, that follows in the same way. It's, it's just another way of thinking really about the same thing. And that's the dynamic of receiving an identity. It, it, to have a dynamic faith, you need to receive an identity from God. We'll talk about what that looks like and what that is in, in a little bit. Um, but before we do, I, I, we have to do just kind of some underlying groundwork. And I'm, I'm risking this being a little academic, okay? And I apologize. Well, I mean, I like it. But I don't know if you will. No, I think you will. I think you will. I think it'll be fun because, because we need to really think about identity. Like, what does it even mean to have an identity? How are identities formed? And it's actually worth taking a little bit of time here to think about it. Um, not only because of its context, it's, it's important in terms of having a strong faith life over the long term, but also because we live in a culture that is obsessed with the idea of identity. Have you noticed? Yeah, like, like it's, it's a very common language to talk about your identity in, in culture. It's, it's kind of an essential thing, um, and it's, it's really just, just centered in our culture. Identity is really important. And, and while maybe some of the language uh, and even our thinking around identity is, is relatively new, kind of, you know, this, this obsession with, I don't want to say obsession, I don't want to like frame it in a bad way, I actually think it's actually a good thing to talk about identity, um, but this, this obsession in culture with, with identity is relatively new, but I would argue that it's actually quite old, it's just the language is sort of new. Um, I would say that Plato, like the ancient Greek philosopher who lived 400 years before Jesus, thought a lot about identity. He just used the word being instead. Right? He, he, he talked about what, what, is it, what does it mean to be a person and to fulfill my personhood and my existence. What is being all about throughout history? Throughout history, people have thought seriously about what it means to be a self, to be a person, to have an identity. It's sort of an, a natural consequence of being alive that we would be concerned with this because we understand that we are different than everyone else. We are a unique person. We have wills and powers and certain things, certain parts of our, our being just existing 
kind of necessitate us having uh, concerns about our identity. So throughout time, it's been understood that knowing your identity is, is not only important, but also it's a, an important part of living a healthy, satisfying, meaningful life. It's, 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 a, it's a question that we ought to concern ourselves with. Um, traditionally, really up until very recently, okay, I'm actually just going to do something first. I'm going to tell you, um, like, I'm talking about identity. I am not a, a psychiatrist. We have a lot of therapists here, and I'm so thankful that we have a lot of good therapists. They would be way more qualified to talk about this, but it's my turn. So, you know, I have to do it. And so, uh, so I, I mean, I've, I've read a lot of books about this, um, and I'm really a lot of what I'm t- sharing with you is, is actually, I, I'm, I am borrowing this. Borrowing, that's a nice way to say st- stealing. I'm, I'm borrowing this, not word for word, but just the ideas uh, from Pastor Tim Keller is Pat, was a pastor in New York City until very recently. Now he just teaches a lot. I mean, he, he's, some of these ideas are, are, are his, and actually he says they're Charles Taylor's, who's another philosopher. So, you know, you can follow the rabbit trail if you want. If you want to know, kind of want to be able to listen to and understand more about this, just I'll tell you where you can find it and stuff like that. I just want to make sure you know that I'm not that smart, and I don't think I'm that smart. I'm just stealing from someone else who's very smart, just, just so you know. Um, so now that I've given that disclaimer, Traditionally, up until very recently, like we've understood identity formation to be an outside-in process. Okay, so that like we form who we are by looking outside of us. That is the way traditional cultures have always understood identity. Um, that, so, so, so most cultures throughout history, the person develops their sense of who they are through understanding their relationship with the outside world. So I've got a little, little picture where I tried to illustrate this. Um, so who I am uh, in my family uh, in, and with my family, you know, what my role is in my family, what my place is in my society, what my belief structure of the society that I live in, those things have traditionally helped people to understand their identity. But it's a looking outside, right? It's, not, it, it, it's looking to the, my surrounding environment, the context in which I'm living my life, it is actually helping me understand and discern my identity. Traditionally, that's how it's been understood. And so in this traditional identity framework, I can live a meaningful life, a satisfying life, to the extent that, to the extent that my existence is sort of validated by the exterior world that I'm living in. So I, am, I can feel satisfied as a, as a person because my family is telling me that I'm, I'm fulfilling my, my calling. You know, everybody wants approval of their father and mother. Everybody does. We've been created that way. We look to external sources, particularly family, to give us a sense of well-being, approval, and peace. That's just the way it is. I'm not saying good or bad. I'm saying that's, I, I, everyone, I think, experiences that. And I, I, you know, I, I want to be sensitive because I know not everybody has great relationships with their parents. But let's be honest, that's painful. So I'm not trying to highlight that pain, but I think we need to acknowledge it. And I think we need to acknowledge that we have been created in, in this way where our identity is being formed inside out. So we look to our families, we look to our societies, we look to what society tells us we should be, uh, what are, you know, our definition of being a man or being a woman or being a successful person or being, you know, whatever it is that we think 
there's societies defining as, as good for us, we, we respond to that and we form our identity on the basis of those external things or our beliefs, the belief structure that we're raised in, the belief structures of our cultures, whatever they be. They could be formal religions. They might not be formal religions. Maybe they're secular ideas that are shaping us. But that's the point is this. Traditionally, identity is formed by looking outside and then it's, it's an outside-in process. But one thing, one thing that's happened, and I think that a lot of us are experiencing this, in the modern world, we've increasingly begun to believe that identity is actually formed inside out. Modern identity is, is thought of as an inside out process. Here's a, let, let me illustrate that. This is a little article from Psychology Today. Uh, I'm going to read you from it. It's from 2014, so hot off the presses. You know, I just Googled it, and this is what came up, and I, I didn't find anything. You know, this one fit, fit my, the purposes here. Oh, actually, sorry. Let's get to that next slide before we get there, just to illustrate it, right? So this is kind of the modern identity framework. It says, I have an internal life. I have desires, thoughts, feelings, and those things are thought of to be, to be shaping my world, right? So that's the, the modern framework. And what we'll get to is really that it can be both and, right? But in general, this is the way it's thought of. So, so like to illustrate this from this, this Psychology Today thing, this uh, article, he says this. Um, Sharam Heshmat. I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. I'm sorry to him. Uh, but he wrote this in 20, uh, 2014 in Psychology Today. He says, few people choose their identities, right? He's acknowledging what's true. We don't really, it's, it's kind of something that happens to us. Instead, <laughs> This is, this is really interesting, the way he's framing this. Instead, they internalize the values of their parents or the dominant culture. And then look at the values that he uh, emphasizes. I think this is rather telling. Materialism, power, and appearance. Is that all that we get from our parents? <laughs> well, in the modern view, it sort of is. Those are all, I'm not sure if you noticed, those aren't the greatest things. <laughs> uh, right? So there's a, there's a negative framing of, of receiving an outside-in identity in, in the modern identity. It kind of contrasts it to the traditional way of saying, oh, we just have all these negative influence all around us, materialism, appearance, and power. That's all that we get from our parents. <laughs> okay. Um, sadly, these values may not align with one's authentic self and create an unfulfilling life. This is really... a, a an articulation of a modern identity framework. He starts by describing like that traditional way, the way identities are formed. He, he just pans them. He talks about how it's just internalizing the values of our exterior, exterior world, dominant cultures. Um, and, and I mean, that's, that's true of the, the traditional framework. That is, that is what we understand to be happening. Uh, but, but it's interesting here. He, he talks about how sad that is. This is an interesting statement. Sadly, these values may not be aligned with one's authentic self. This is, think about it. This is a really new way of thinking about yourself. In this modern identity framework, there's this premise, and it's, it's kind of the hallmark. It's, it's necessary to think of, of yourself this way. Um, there's this, this premise that there is an authentic self. There's an authentic you hiding somewhere inside of you like some fixed reality, some, some person that exists that's, I don't know, somewhere in your genes maybe, in your mind maybe, in your soul maybe, right? It's not really articulated where that person really exists, um, but it's like that's, there's this self, there's some self in you, some authentic self, and that self longs to be expressed, and if you don't express that self, if you don't live into that self, if you don't be that self, then you're going to be somehow 
It's, it's a sad state of affairs to be thinking that way. See, in the modern identity framework, we turn inward to discover our identity. So the, the modern formation about discovering the true self, the authentic self. But it's, it's an interesting idea, but again, it assumes that there's something somewhere in you that's just like hidden. Like, I went to college, I graduated in 2007. And everybody who like kind of was in their very early 20s or late teens that time of year, we all know someone who was mining Bitcoin in college. But we also all know that that person lost the key to that Bitcoin. So they are theoretically a bazillionaire, but not in actuality. But kind of the modern identity framework is this. It's you're a Bitcoin millionaire if only you could get the key. Like there's something, there's a hard drive somewhere where there is this, you know, was it 120 digit code? Is that like what a Bitcoin key is, right? And if you could only figure that out, if you could only crack that code, man, you would be rich. But you can't crack the code because you lost it. Because you, <laughs> I, I had a friend, he, he said he, he had a friend, he, he ordered pizza for 1,200 Bitcoin in college. He spent one slice of pizza, he bid 1,200 Bitcoin. If only he wasn't hungry. That would have been nice for him. Uh, anyway, so sorry about that. Um, so again, like we think that there is some internally fixed self that we need to access, something encoded on a hard drive. And like if you could do that, man, you would just hit the jackpot. And I want to be really clear. Okay, so like those, are, those are two opposing views. Like we look internally or we look externally to find our sense of self. I'm not, really, I'm not really saying any of these is a slam dunk because actually both of these ways of forming identity have potential pitfalls. And what I'm going to get to at the end here is that actually there's a much better way. It's to have your identity in Jesus. So we're going to get there in a second. But I, but I do want to focus on this for a second because, again, identity is so relevant for most of us, especially if you work with or have young people in your life. Um, the fact is, I mean, there are some problems with the traditional identity, and there are some problems with internalizing the values of your family or your society or your belief system. Potentially, uh, those can be problematic. I, and I have the reasons why uh, traditional identity has its problems, right, really, potentially, potentially as a problem, if you live in a culture that's very sexist and you're a woman, that's a bit of a problem, right? If, if, if you are told by your culture that you don't have value or worth in a traditional culture and that's imposed upon you, yes, that is, that is, a, that is a problem. That, is, that makes, makes your life difficult, right? It, you, uh, some people live in cultures where there's a lot of classism and caste, right? I mean, you know, there are certain cultures in the world. If you are born of a certain lineage, like your parents are of a certain caste, then you have no, no ability to get outside of that, no ability to advance socially, economically, right? When, when, when traditional identity mobilizes that way, it is very harmful. I think we need to understand that. I mean, there's rigid child expectations. Some of you maybe grew up in homes where you were imposed on like, like a way that you had to be in order to satisfy your parents, and that is difficult. And that's one of the negative sides of traditional identity formation. And then there's, a, there's abuse. In, in this talk uh, with Tim Keller, I, I thought this, he shared this quote. I thought it was really, good, really helpful. He says, abused people have experienced the dark side of the traditional identity. There is a dark side. To have verbal abuse where a family member tells you you're scum, you're nothing, that 
that and to have that person be your validator is difficult. It could be a father or a mother with a child. It could be a spouse. And along with that can come physical violence. And this is really important right here. The modern identity, I think, has developed because of the abuses of the traditional identity. It can be suffocating when you give your parents or your community that kind of power over telling you who you are and they abuse it. They use it against you. It's terrible. So I think, I think as we think about identity, we have to understand that, that like we open ourselves up to some potential negative, negative influences when, when, we, when we think about our identity this way. So it's not without risk, but, but, but what Keller goes on in this talk to you, and I just kind of just want to share, share with you, is that the, the, the modern identity uh, also has some risks. And he's saying it's kind of formed in reaction to abuses of the traditional identity, but it's not without problems of its own. So what are those, what are those problems of, of its own? Okay, so, all right, again, so, so, so if, if, okay, I'm rejecting the idea that I'm letting my, my parents, my culture, my family define who I am, and I'm just going to become my own person, that means that I'm going to be looking internally to myself, to my desires, to my thoughts, to my feelings, in order to get a sense of who I am. But this comes with some problems, and I think these are really important problems that we need to rec reconcile. First of all, uh, the modern identity is incoherent in that it doesn't stick together, like cohesion, right? Like, like it doesn't stick together. I want things that I can't have both of. Deep in my heart, you want things, you desire things, and you can't have both of them. So, so to say, well, I'm just going to figure out who I am by looking at my desires, what I want, what I feel very strongly, would work if I actually wanted one thing. Or I was singular of mind and heart. But most of us, if we're honest with ourselves about how our experience of our desires is, is that we want things that can't both exist, right? We, we, some of us want to have strong family relationships where we're spending time with our children and our spouses, and it's going great, and we're, we're, we're giving them so much, uh, we're finding so much joy in our family relationships, but we also want careers that are demanding, and, and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll get in lots, we'll make lots of money from, and, and we'll invest in those. And what a lot of people find trying to do both those things is that they do come into conflict, to want two things very badly leads us to incoherence if I'm just looking internally to my desires to figure out who I am. So it leads us to some incoherence. It's also, it's fragile. It's fragile because to, to, to say, okay, I'm not going to look to the external world for any validation of my identity, but I'm just going to look to myself, my own desires. No one knows what a liar you are like you know what a liar you are. I know better than any of you know the way that I let my own ideals and aspirations down. And so if you're looking to yourself to be the one who says, you're good, you can have peace, you can have joy in life, I'm really bad at doing that because I know my internal world is not as put together, even as my appearance. Right? Because the thing is, like, like sometimes our hearts condemn us. Sometimes we know in our hearts that we've done wrong and we've done badly. And to put yourself into this position where you just have to affirm yourself, but you know that you really aren't that great, it creates a really fragile identity. And, then, this, is, and this is the most serious. It's socially fragmenting. Um, 
I think uh, I, I was talking to somebody recently about, about some challenges this, and I've actually had multiple conversations with people probably over the last month of how socially fragmenting identity issues can be. Because you get into this position where people are trying to look to themselves to affirm their identity, and they're trying to forget about external things. And, and then that, that, that ch- creates challenges in relationships because a modern identity is just going to make me look inward and just say, anyone who disagrees with anything that I think about myself or my desires internally is wrong and is, in fact, destroying my sense of myself. And trying to be in a relationship with somebody who's just trying to pursue their desires to the, to the full end, it, it makes it so that that person is only uh, interested in a relationship so far as you agree with absolutely everything they say and do and think. It destroys families. To pursue a modern identity makes it almost impossible to have real relationships with you where other people outside yourself can have differing opinions from your own. We get how difficult this is? Um... It's, it's, I, I, to go to this place where we're just looking inside is to really just to subject my whole world to my whims. There has to be something more steady in life than that. Because, right, because what it does to relationships is it makes them transactional. It has to be. So I can have a relationship with something only to the extent that they agree with me about everything that I feel and desire and want. It just it makes relationship totally impossible. And it makes them consumeristic, right? So I'm just going to be around people who give me what I want, the, the validation of my own internal reality, no matter what choices I make, whether they're backwards or not. I'm just going to look to people to give me what I want, no matter what. It's a huge problem. I think it's the most, most pernicious part of, of a modern identity. And the, the last thing is it doesn't actually do what it says. We, we, we think that what we're doing when we look internally is finding our true selves. Actually, probably what we're doing is we're just operating according to certain, um, a, a different values set, a different set of values than, the, than the, the external values. They're actually still external values. They're just new and different from the ones that my family or my society or my culture, or at least how I perceive them, them to do. Okay, so to sum it up, the traditional identity formation is all about duty and obligation. What is the external expectations of me? And it doesn't really care that much about what are my desires and what are my internal life. A modern identity, identity formation looks internally. It's what are my desires? What do I want? And says, forget about all this external stuff. I really just need to focus on me, you know, me, me, me. Healthy identity formation Christian or non-Christian, but healthy identity formation, I think it does both and. And I would say Christian identity formation does it better than any other possible alternative. We get in Jesus Christ, being in Christ, we get this awesome beauty of receiving an identity from Jesus and having it be both satisfactory externally, like that the external world is starting to make sense, and satisfactory Yeah. (laughs) Dang it. Too complicated. It's deeply internally satisfying as well. It gets to be both of those things. And um, 
it's, it's, really, it's really awesome. I, I was thinking about this, um, and I just wanted to make this little comment. Healthy identity formation is doing both those things. A great therapist will help you do both of these things. They'll help you figure out, how do I get my external world and my internal world aligned? A terrible therapist will tell you, forget about your external world. Cut off anybody who doesn't affirm everything about you. That person is dangerous. I'll tell you that. And now I'm way out of my lane. Sorry, therapists. Um, but I think really great therapists will help us do both of those things because there's conflict. And there's, there is inevitably conflict between internal and external stuff. And that is the stuff of life. And it's the stuff of identity formation and figuring out, well, how do, I, how do I be a self who is both properly connected to people outside and yet properly tuned into how I'm uniquely made, how God has made me, what, I'm, how, what makes me tick, what are my real desires? Figuring that out is the stuff of Christian maturity and identity formation. And so that's the invitation that I want to leave. Uh, I'm not going to leave with you because we're not done yet. Um, right, remember, we, Dallas Willard, remember this from last, last week. The main thing that God gets out of your life is not the achievements you accomplish, but the person you become. The invitation of the Christian life is to become somebody who is totally whole and whole in that they're an integrated in, in terms of their external self and their internal self. They are properly oriented. Um, when I was uh, probably like 17 or 18, I, I like read through Psalm 119, which if you know Psalm 119, takes a little while. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't, don't ask me about my teenage years, but yeah, this was probably the first time I had read it, let's just say, 17 or 18. And, and I came across this, Psalm 119 is amazing. It's this big guy, the, the psalmist is, is thinking about God's law and just delighting in it. And here's a little, this is Psalm uh, 119, 42 and 45. It says this, Never take your word of truth from my mouth, for I hope in your judgments. I will always obey your instructions forever and ever. I will walk freely in an open place because I study your precepts. That's solid identity formation. It's somebody who's looking to God and saying, I study like your instructions about what makes for a good life. I, I study like my identity, who you say I am, what it's like to be a person. I listen to you and I want to obey you, God. And then counterintuitively, what this, the psalmist finds as they're obeying, which seems like a drag, right? Seems like that's denying your internal self, is that they find, I will walk freely in an open place. To obey God's word, to just like lean into the identity that he calls us to, actually will lead us to this place of freedom and joy and internal satisfaction. That's the promise. That's the promise. I think if we move into and move through into maturity in Christ, we get this. We get the satisfaction of knowing who we are, validation from God that comes from Jesus's grace and mercy bought on the cross that we cannot uh, break or, and we always can stand on, but we also get the satisfaction of our internal desires. Not that we give into everything we have, but we find that we're changing and wanting good things things and finding freedom and joy in accepting the external word of God into our lives. We get this really full picture of maturity, and it is awesome, it is satisfying, and it brings me a ton of peace. Okay, so how do I do that? Well, first of all, it's, it's a faith thing. We believe in what God says and does. This is why faith matters. Faith is, is believing what God says, so accepting his word, but also believing what he does, right? Because they're, they're kind of the same thing. Romans 5.8, important verse. Memorize it if you haven't. God proves his own love for us 
in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The thing that God wants everybody to know, that he went out of his way, it's the substance of the gospel, is that God, who was way up there, separate, it seems, from everybody else, actually decided he needed to be known to a degree in which he took on flesh, he came in to the world, he died for the sake of far-off people to take their sin and separation away, to reconcile them to God. He died for us while we were totally disinterested in him. And the work of faith is believing that that's true, the facts surrounding Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, but also believing what they mean. They mean something. It means something that God uh, proved his love for us. It means that he really does love us. He is a good father, a good creator, someone who has our interests in mind, someone who adores us and cares for us to the point where he did everything that needed to be happened so that we would know it, so that the external world that we perceive to, to exist like, like could, could, could really form and shape our identity. Because really, like to understand this, that God is the sort of God who proves his love for us, by dying for us, coming into our world, and then sending the Holy Spirit and revealing his word to us over and over again where he's consistently telling you, I know the good plans I have for you. I know good things, like life may be difficult, but I am always faithful. I am always good. You stand on the basis of grace. God is going out of his way to reveal his intentions towards us like a good father does to a son or daughter. God is going out of his way to establish a kind of relationship that can steady us and can anchor our identity to the point where we could know that there's nothing that we could do or say that would keep us from his love. Certainly there are things that we could do to reject it and not let that shape us and form us and let us grow into it, yes, but he has done the work to let us know that he loves us. He is demonstrating his love by dying on a cross. And for us to grow into that identity, we need to think about this and understand what it means, all the implications of the fact that God died for us. He didn't die for you, letting you know that he cares about you so that you could just go free and just like, have, yeah, figure, figure your life out after that. No, he died saving you to have this ongoing, identity-shaping relationship, something that would totally transform your sense of who you are. And this relationship, this discipleship relationship to Jesus, where we're just saying, yeah, Jesus, I see your Lord. I want to give you my whole life. It, it ends up forming us in ways that the traditional identity couldn't, right? Because it really supersedes those things. Mark 10, 29 through 30, Jesus says something difficult here. But I think what he's getting at is, is what we're talking about here. He says this, Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or field for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more. Now at this time, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecution and eternal life in the age to come. Little note here. He's saying, he's saying I, when he was talking about children, here's the thing. My children are uh, 10, 
10, what were they? 11, 10, 6, and 3. If I left them, that would be cruel. But when they're 30, I can leave. It's okay. They'll be fine, right? So I, I, I think he's saying, peace out. Leave your, leave your children. Abandon them on the street. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, at some point, you're going to go on with your life. But what Jesus is saying here, just, just to make sure that doesn't, isn't a little hang up here, what he's saying is these traditional identity-forming things, family, culture, religious stuff, like they, they too tend to, he's saying, I'm going to supersede them. Like, I'm going to ask for you something so much more, like that you would think of me and following me as something that supersedes all those things. Doesn't doesn't erase those things, right? But it's actually like so much better to let, let the primary, your primary relationship with Jesus form your identity more so even than these things. And part of the work of faith is just letting Jesus do that and just saying, yeah, like really I believe, Jesus, that the thing that I need to value the most in my life is my relationship with you, my obedience to you, seeking you out above all other things, and that actually Actually, by doing that, I'm going to find who I truly am, putting you first to the point where I say all these other things still matter, you know, still have family relationships, still have, a, you know, a job and a home and, and stuff like that, but I just put them secondary to you, to the kingdom, and whatever you ask of me, that's what I'm going to do first. Maybe these other things might seem in conflict, but I'm going to put you first. That's just believing that what God has done matters and that it really is involved. It's going to infect my life. It's going to affect my day-to-day. If Jesus is who he says he is, if he is who he demonstrates himself to be, it's totally going to change my relationship with God and my perception of who he is. There's some challenges. Um, I, was, I was at a conference the other day for pastors, and it's really like one of those things where it's like, hey, don't give up. It's really going to be great. You know, it's like a pep talk for pastors. It's really fun. Um, but they, there was a, a, um, a lady there with a PhD in, you know, like, like studied like therapy and faith and how those things go together. And she was talking about how our perception of God, who we think God is like, what, what we think he's like, his character, by default is usually just a composite of your care, your primary caregivers. Like that's you, your, your, your knee-jerk reaction of what God is like is just a, a kind of a blend of your primary caregivers with your, your preferred parent or preferred caregiver having the most emphasis unless you had an abusive parent, in which case that parent has the most emphasis. So, right... We, we have these perceptions about what God is like, right? They're just natural as a consequence of having families and stuff. But sometimes, in order for us to get to that point where we're, like, trusting God to form our identity, we have to do this work of believing who God is, what he says he's like, what he does. And sometimes that involves getting over wrong ideas about who he is because we're just take, thinking, assuming that he's just like our primary caregivers who might be lovely people, but who aren't God. So part of this identity formation is really getting to the question, God, who are you really? What are you like really? And what we find as we go in and we search the scriptures is we, we see that Jesus is the very image of God and he's gentle, he's kind, he's gracious, he's serious, he's a, a little demanding, like in a, in a good way, in a way you kind of want, like want a coach to be a little demanding because it's going to draw something good out of you, right? But he's not a jerk and he's not abusive and he's not going to hate you or kick you like, like, be so frustrated with you, even though you're trying and going to give up on you, call you names. That's not what Jesus is like at all. And a lot of this identity formation work is just saying, 
getting past our, our presuppositions about what we think God is like and really looking to Jesus. What does he reveal himself to be like? And letting that character, this person, Jesus, the one that we experience, letting the Holy Spirit kind of reshape our ideas about what he's like. And as we do that, and as we experience God, take him as, at his word, believe him for who he says he is, we actually find so much joy because we find that we're finding our, our place by the external things of what God says about us. And what he says about us is, yes, you're broken, but I have such good plans to restore you and reconcile you. Yes, like you're, you're diff- you have difficulties in life and, and difficult things will happen, but I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. And the work of identity formation is really just coming at God's word and believing it and experiencing it to be true. So believing is... Uh, we believe in what God says and what he does. We also believe uh, what God says, and we find that that changes our desires. That's the, the fascinating thing. The more we get a picture of who God is, yeah, believing what God says changes our desires. I thought that was incorrect grammar, but no, that's a real sentence. Uh, believing what God says changes our desires. It ends up changing, our. once we have a right perception of who God is and how we fit in with his plan, then we start to actually find that we have love for him. First John, yeah, 419, great one. We love because he first loved us. If you're just like looking into yourself and you're saying, I don't love God at all, that's okay. If you want to just look externally, how about you think about what he says about you, what he's done for you, what he says is true of you, how much he cares for you, and how he's gone over and over to demonstrate that to you. The more you think about those external things, actually, the more you find, this is the nature of the Christian life, the more you find that there is love for him. As you understand his love for you, the more you... Sit in that and let that form your, your, your sense of peace and comfort the more you start to love him. Don't be disturbed if you look inside and you think, I don't know, Jesus, I don't know if I can hang with you. I don't know if I want to obey you at every time. Just stop and just say, okay, but who are you? What do you like? What have you done? Like, search out the scriptures. Go around people who encourage you to, to look to what Jesus has done. Go around people who are more mature in the faith than you are and ask them, how did you get to this point where you got over yourself? Because it's what everybody has to do. It's the work. How do you receive this identity? You understand who Jesus is, and then it begins to change you. Being loved. And everybody who's in a marriage that's healthy knows this. Being love has a way of gently redirecting and shaping our desires. When we receive love, when we are the objects of, of, of pure, good, like free, awesome, beautiful love, we actually start to love the person who loves us. You are not in Christ. You don't have hope in Jesus because of your great love for him. You have hope in Jesus because he loved you first. That's something we have to remember. And that's going to change my inner life. Worship team's going to come up here. Um, and I just wanted to leave you with this uh, little prayer. This is the prayer for divine support. What's the end of the prayer for the divine support from, the, from a Puritan prayer book? It's classic called Valley of Vision. And I, I'm just going to read this slowly because I, I think it's cool. I think it's right in the, the themes that we're talking about here. He says, May I live by thee, 
live for thee. Never be satisfied with my Christian progress, but as I resemble Christ. And may conformity to his principles, temper, and conduct grow hourly in my life. In other words, God, make me more like you. Like, like let me get over myself. I want, want to look externally to who you are and become like you. I want to make that my example. Let thy unexampled love constrain me into holy obedience. And this is the good part. Render my duty my delight. You know, the truth is that uh, we, we all experience this. When we're in a, rela- a loving relationship, we, we know that it's only right that we should love the one back who loves us. That's our duty. That's the duty of, of, of a person who's in a good, satisfying relationship. But what like, this kind of relationship can turn into and what it can really do in my life is it, it can really change my heart to the point where this, this thing that could be just duty, like something that I owe someone else, actually becomes like true delight in life true joy. There can be joy in following Jesus, in seeing my identity shaped after him. And you know what? We're just giving you a taste. Like, these are, these are complex things. I didn't want to uh, go too much in that. But this is it. Like, if you're in this place where you've been following Jesus and you're like, ah, oh, what's next, Jesus? This is what's next. Knowing him more and more, knowing his character more and more, seeing and believing what he's done more and more, and then having my inward desires transformed by his grace, by his power, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, We love it when things are just the flip of a switch. Identity in Christ is not that. It's done. He's done the work, and he's he's supplied everything needed. The work that we have, right, is the work of growing in maturity and trust and deepening of relationship. And so that's my invitation to you the long invitation to spend your life mining the deep love of God expressed for you in Christ and finding that actually it's exactly what you were looking for all along. It's the thing that scratches all the itches. It's the thing that actually is deeply satisfying to my internal self. And I can really find my true self as I just find my place in God's word and in his plan. So I wanted to encourage you guys in that. Let's, uh, we have time. So we'll do communion together. Uh, we'll do some worship first. Why don't we stand up? We'll worship the Lord.